The following program presents principles designed to promote good health and is not intended to take the place of personalised professional care. The opinions and ideas expressed are those of the speakers. Viewers are encouraged to draw their own conclusions about the information presented. Welcome to Healthy Living. I'm your host, Margot Marshall. Can food change our mood? Can food influence depression? And can food treat depression? Stay tuned. Healthy Living is a production of 3ABN Australia Television, focusing on the health of the whole person, body, mind and spirit. You'll learn natural lifestyle principles with practical health solutions for overall good health. Our topic today is nutritional biochemistry and mental health for adults. My guest is Dr. Andrew Pennington, who is an integrative general practitioner. Welcome, Andrew. And would you just again like to tell us what integrative medicine is? Sure. Thanks again for having me on the program. It's, it's a delight to be here. Our pleasure. Um, so just uh, a refresher for those who don't know what integrative medicine is. Uh, essentially, it's, it's a combination of using orthodox and traditional medical strategies um, with um, evidence-based complementary medicine strategies. So um, it's quite a broad field. Um, there's not a lot of standardised approaches in integrative medicine, but um, most integrative medicine doctors would have probably a broader understanding of nutrition, of the role of lifestyle, um, of the role of environmental factors, um, and then some of them are also in, uh, involved in some other practices such as traditional Chinese medicine or acupuncture. Or There's a number of other approaches that some integrative doctors will take. But you have a couple of very special interest areas, don't you? I do. So uh, my, my major area of interest is nutrition and lifestyle medicine. Um, and particularly today, we're going to talk a little bit about the role of uh, nutrition uh, and brain health. Um, and um, how that impacts on mental health in adults. Oh, that's great. So let's get started. <laughs> sure. So um, I think the first thing I'd like to just mention about is the prevalence of mental health conditions. They are very, very common. And I've got a number of slides here that, that I'll go through um, with your viewers so that they can um, see some of this data. So I think um, the first slide that I've got just shows you the prevalence of um, mental health disorders. Um, and uh, this comes from data in Australia, um, the most recent data we've got from 2009. Um, and you can actually see in this data that um, over a lifetime, 45% of us will suffer some form of mental health disorder, so nearly half. It's, it's really, really common. That's um, incredible. So Yeah, and if you break that down even further, in any 12-month period of time, there's about 20% of us, who, of that 45%, who actually have a mental health disorder. So, again, pretty much one in five Australians, if you take any 12-month period of, of time, will have be, be struggling with some form of mental health I disorder. I would not have realised it was that high. So, I mean, that in includes That's, a lot of different yeah. um, mental health problems, of course, uh, well, all mental health problems, but it is very, very common. Mm. Um, and 
particularly, uh, I'm probably more going to focus today on what we call mood disorders. So those are things like anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder. Um, and uh, these things, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about symptoms because some of your audience may be wondering about, well, what are the symptoms of these conditions? Yes, yes. Sure. Um, and in particular, if we, if we have a little look on the screen, um, uh, if, you, uh, if we can see that, this uh, shows some of the different symptoms that can be present in anxiety and depression. And I think probably just to emphasise with depression, we, we all will have sadness through our life at times. That's quite normal. Mm. It, you know, human beings are emotional and that's normal. But to have feelings of ongoing sadness and, and worthlessness and not enjoying things that you normally enjoy doing for any prolonged period of time, and we would usually say certainly over two weeks, but probably more like over six to eight weeks. If, if, you, if that's happening to someone, then they may well fit the criteria yeah. for a depressive episode. Yeah. Um, and anxiety has a lot of links, and we'll, I'll show you the links shortly, but there are symptoms, particularly with anxiety, where people feel very tense and trembling. Uh, their breathing rate can be up. They may actually feel palpitations in their heart and feeling nervous, yeah. or there's this just sense that something's wrong and going to happen to them and, and the world's going to, you know, um, in, be an impending sort of doom um, and and obviously they can sweat and have high heart rate. Now again we've probably all experienced these symptoms at some point in life, maybe when we're standing in front of public speaking, maybe when we're talking <laughs> on the video camera, um, but, yeah. but you know this is, this is something that happens very occasionally to an individual who does not suffer from anxiety but for someone who has anxiety this is happening very frequently. Um, and it's really, you know, it's really how much they're of these symptoms they're having rather than whether they're having them at all. And there is a combination, and the next slide should show us different um, shared symptoms. So just excessive worrying, um, agitation. You mean shared between anxiety, anxiety and, depression, and depression? That's right. Yes. So people can have these symptoms in both. Um, and I think a really big one is just brain fog and concentration, you know, poor ability to concentrate. Uh, and I think if you ask that to people and they, they're just, you know, they're not sharp at their work or they're not sharp at home, they just can't make good decisions and they're struggling to concentrate, they can be signs of anxiety, depression. So I guess if we looked at traditionally how do, how do we actually treat these medical conditions, um, and there's certainly some very helpful strategies within traditional medicine. So with mild to moderate um, symptoms, we usually try to avoid medications and, and we try to look at counselling-based strategies through um, cognitive behavioural therapy um, yeah. and other psychology strategies. Um, and exercise is, is a, also a useful strategy and there's, there's various other things. Some people um, find that um, uh, having some quiet time or spending time out in nature or whatever it might be, um, those things are all Im important strategies for, for m and many people m manage their symptoms with those things alone. Yeah. But when they become a bit more severe and you meet the criteria for a, a major depressive episode or, or um, significant anxiety condition like OCD, um, you may well require traditionally drug therapies mm -hmm. um, and these are usually in the order of different types of antidepressant medications. Sure. Now, um, the trouble with this, although they have, uh, they're helpful for many people, they're not helpful for everyone. And I'm sure that there are some of your listeners out there who have experienced um, one of these conditions, possibly been placed on one of these medications by either their GP or a psychiatrist, and have had an adverse reaction to this medication, to the, one of the medications they were put on. Um, and the, it's very common to get adverse reactions to the medications. I don't uh, think there's a, a, is this a... Is this correct? I don't think there's a single drug that doesn't have side effects. Look, I, I think that's a, that's a fair comment. It's, I guess yeah. it's how manageable the side yes. effects are. Yeah. Um, but, um, 
but you, you're right, it, drugs will affect more than one body system. But look, of course, the, 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 the role here is to try and re-correct what's going on in the brain. Yes, and there's and a place for, there is, for, the, there for that is. intervention. And, and out of this conversation, I do not want anyone to go off their medication. Please do not understand that, okay, <laughs> okay. without talking to a medical practitioner mm-hmm. who is, in, who is yes. monitoring your mental health. Um, however... Um, we need to be aware of the limitations of the medications. And as I said, one of them is side effects. And, you know, not infrequently it can create problems with um, sleep. It can create gut problems and nausea and vomiting, headaches, um, sexual dysfunction. There's a number of side effects that people will experience um, from antidepressants potentially. Now, of course, that's not all. There's some that I've used these medicines with who are very, very happy and, and pretty much say, listen, you've made a massive difference to my life. I'm feeling a lot better. But I'll tell you one other side effect that's interesting is that some people will tell me they flatline with their mood. So you may have removed their negative side effects of you know worthlessness, feeling down, and what we call the negative um, or, um, uh, aspects of the mental health, but they don't have any joy in their life. Oh. They, they don't have you know they're not happy. They're just flatlining their mood, and you you could probably tell them that look your dog's died, and they might go oh yeah you know it's they're, they're just flatlining. They're not going up or down in mood, and many people do not like that at all. Oh. Now the other aspect of the problems with medication, of course, is that some people they just don't work in, um, and we found that to be the case. Mm-hmm. Antidepressant medicines probably work in about fifty to sixty percent of patients for depression, mm-hmm. and that's not certainly not one hundred percent, and nowhere near it. So, so there are problems with these strategies that call us to look deeper and more holistically. Can mm. we help people not just by using drug medications? And the answer is yes, we absolutely can. And I want to talk a little bit perhaps to understand more deeply how do we, you know, what causes these problems in the first place? Uh, and the next slide I'm just going to put up there, it comes from Beyond Blue's website, which I would recommend if people uh, are interested in looking mm. further. And the answer is we don't know in exactly what causes these problems, but we certainly got a lot of clues. Certainly life events. You know, I've mm. had numerous patients who've had a traumatic life event that has pushed them into depression or anxiety. There are personal factors. We talked a little bit about this in an earlier program mm. where family history of mental illness is very important, and that's probably because of inherited different biochemistries in the brain that are passed on that predispose one to a certain... Uh, behaviour traits Mm. and certain personality traits and we've just mentioned that as another issue. Mm. We certainly know for example that perfectionist behaviours can be associated with increased depression and eating disorders so that's a personality trait that some of us have um, and if it gets out of control it can cause a problem. Um, Clearly having a serious serious medical illness you know we know that people who've had a heart attack and have a bypass or stent are more likely to have depressive episode afterwards mm-hmm. so is diabetes people with diabetes are more likely and clearly things like substance abuse um, of various drugs can uh, impact on mental health and then there's obviously brain changes where um, can be uh, related to so um, so it's a combination of a lot of factors that can come to play that can perhaps cause it but we don't always know exactly what it is and I should add just one more thing we're also understanding that the brain being inflamed is is a part of this process too and it's probably a combination of these factors that causes a systemic inflammatory response in the brain that's associated with any of these mental illnesses. Mm, lots of reasons why why it can happen. No wonder so many people are yeah, experiencing absolutely. that. Absolutely. So one of the questions that I have, and maybe some of your listeners has, um, is can food 
influence our mood? Yes, well, this is the, this is the question we've been waiting to hear look, the answers to. I suspect that many of your listeners will be very intuitively aware that the answer is yes. Um, and I think we all understand at some point in time that we feel better after eating. If we're a bit ratty sometimes, maybe our blood sugars are a bit low and we have a decent meal, we feel a bit better. Um, and we also know that there are a lot of people who comfort eat. Why? No. Because they feel <laughs> when they comfort eat. Yeah, but briefly. That can, that, exactly. That can mm. be a destructive behaviour mm. to their long term. But, but, you know, that term comfort eating implies that they are feeling comforted by eating. Mm. Uh, and they are. Uh, and we're understanding a bit more about how that's happening at the brain level. Um, so intuitively, we know that food can affect mood. But is there any literature or evidence to prove this? Um, and the answer is yes. Um, and I, um, uh, I've got a couple of slides there that we can look at. Um, and I think this, this particular slide I'd like to just focus on briefly because I think it's very profound. And this actually comes, even though it's published in the American Journal of Public Health, it actually comes from Australian data. So the researcher who put this together was a public health clinician. Um, and what I'd like you to just notice here is that he was interested in what are the role of eating fruits and vegetables? Does that actually have any influence over our mood? Um, and so he did a big retrospective analysis of the eating habits of a number of thousands or hundreds of Australians, I can't remember the exact numbers in the study, and looked at the food eating behaviours and fruits and vegetable intake, and then looked at mood. Um, now up this sort of y-axis here, you can see a change in life satisfaction. And he developed, I can't tell you the details of how he developed this, it's, it's in the paper, but he's developed a score of how satisfied one is with life. Okay. And on the bottom you can see is, the change in how many fruit and vegetable portions one is eating. From zero up so to eight. So from zero up to eight. And they're, they're all fruit and veg portions. Correct, portions, so zero to eight well, they're portions. they're going up in a steady... So you can see that it's increase. almost a linear increase oh, yeah. between satisfaction in life and the amount of fruits and vegetables that one is eating. Isn't that now, interesting? To give you a... To give you a, a like a... Um, you know, what, what does this scale sort of mean in a realistic term? The difference between zero and, say, 0.23, which is, I think, the top value there for eight vegetables and fruits, is about equivalent to someone going from being unemployed to, un to employed in terms of their satisfaction oh, okay. of, of that life experience. Mm -hmm. So, and about half the, uh, the um, significance of someone getting divorced. So that about half is, if that makes any sense. So it's um, working the other way. Yeah, isn't that, it? that's right. So if, if you know, let's say getting divorced made you know such an impact negatively on one's yeah. life satisfaction. About half of that is the difference here between eating one or eight. Um, fruits of vegetable intakes per day. And the recommended amount is two fruit, five two veg, fruit, that's five seven. Veg, that's right. And that's baseline. Absolutely. That's totally baseline. So you can certainly do more than that. Oh yeah, Brenda um, Davis, who's a world-renowned dietitian, says that sh we should have ten serves of fruit and veg and three should be green. Yeah, I like to aim for that. Too. Yes, and, um, and that's quite challenging. But look, yep. the, you know, we, we know about, most of us know, oh yeah, more fruits and veggies prevent heart disease mm. and diabetes. But did you know that it can help you with mood? Maybe not. Maybe not. But then there's a there's actually a different question to ask on top of that is well that may be but that might be just an association. Can you actually use food to treat depression? So someone's clinically got depression, right. can we actually tailor their diet to actually, you know, influence their depressed mood? And 
the, we had a lot of clues before, including this, and there's actually a number of other studies that have shown an impact on mm. poor diets and, and more likelihood of getting depression. I, unfortunately, I did have a slide for that, but it wasn't clear enough to show on the graphics here. Um, but there was a meta-analysis of, I think it's, I think about 13 different studies that looked at diet quality and chance of depression. Um, and almost all of them showed that poor diet quality was associated with an increased risk of depression. So that's a really key point for our listeners today is that, you know, don't think that diet has nothing to do with depression or mood. It certainly does. And the better quality diet you have, um, the more likely you were not to have depression. I, I think that one you've got on the screen now is amazing. Oh, it's, a, it's an excellent it's, slide. It's profound, isn't it? It is very profound. But then, as I say, the next clinical question is, well, okay, we've got associations here between mood and diet, but can when someone has depression, can we treat them with diet? Yes. And as I say, the answer is yes. And this is just recently, again, Australian data. And I want to show you this randomised control trial that was done by Felice Jacker and her colleagues at Deakin Uni in Melbourne. Mm. Um, and I think this is really important. So what they actually did in this trial was they, got, they sourced a group of patients who had clinical depression and they graded them according to diet quality and they've got a standardised way to do this. Um, and essentially they took the, the cohort of people that answered their questionnaires who had what they viewed as a poor quality diet and depression and then they took that group and they randomised them and they said, all right, this group, we're going to give dietary advice and you can, you know, you'll go into that arm and we're going to improve your diet. This group will just give you standard sort of social support care that anyone would get normally. Now, have a look at what happens in the two groups here. So, and this is the uh, estimate means, and this is a, this score here is a depression oh, sort of outcome okay. on the left. So the social support group, this Over is their baseline is in blue, and yep. at, after the intervention at three months' time of social support, they had improved too. You can see that, that, yes. that you know, they've improved their depression scores. But look at the diet group. It's a much bigger improvement in their scores. It's, it's so double the difference. Exactly more, right. Well, so, yeah. so this was a randomised control trial that proved probably for the first time that a good quality diet, and I should say that the, the style of diet that was used mm. in this was a Mediterranean-style mm. diet, where they used a lot lots of fruits of and vegetables, foods, yeah. lots of plant foods, whole grains, whole gra- whole foods. Um, good oils, fish. So that's the style of diet that was done here. Um, and that showed this kind of effect. I don't know what your next slide is actually, but I'm wondering whether they did another study using both diet intervention and social support. Wouldn't it be interesting? Yes, it would. And look, because I, I, that, that, had a, that had an effect and that had um, twice the effect. So you'd have right. to, I think you could safely assume, or as a layperson, I could safely assume that you'd get an even better outcome. Look, I must say, I can't remember, I'd have to reread the study, but I can't actually remember if they actually did do that in the study. It may well have been that, that the diet intervention mm. also got social support. Um, but I'm, I'm just, as I say, I'm, I just can't remember from the detail of the study. But that's the studies there at the bottom there for any who's a, a studious mm. person and wants to look it up. Right. Um, and I should say that there is a, you can Google Food and Mood Centre in Deakin Uni and they've got quite an interest in, yeah. in looking at, at these sort of mm. constraints and, and looking at how we improve um, people's moods using food. Mm. So um, now... I do often get... Sorry, did you... Oh, it's just, just a little something that came to mind as you said that, and I'm thinking, probably everyone's thinking, do you mean I have to eat broccoli <laughs> or something? <laughs> but do you know what? One time, my daughter and I were running a program um, for a big convention, and I, I think we had a 
perhaps oh, maybe 100 children between the ages of seven and nine. And we decided to promote fruit and veggies. It was about fruit of the spirit from the Bible. So we promoted fruit and veggies and we did it in interesting ways with games and, and what have you. And it only went for about over the Easter break. It wasn't very long. But where we were sitting there, probably on the second last day, having lunch a little bit late out in the under a tree and a little boy in our group was standing a bit of a way off sort of looking at us a bit shyly and then after a while he said can I say something yes come on you can talk to us came over he said well when I came to camp I hated broccoli and now I love broccoli and I'm (laughs) thinking how's that possible and she was just in that time just from the fun effect I I don't know I don't know it was just a a lot of fun and games and all sorts of things that we did around the fruit and veg and he decided he loved it I I was astounded well I mean that's a lovely story but uh, you'd be surprised how many people I come through and talk to about mental health stuff and when I actually ask them about their diet um, they're not eating very many fruits and vegetables. No, no. They're, they're just, they have a quite poor quality diet. And we're going to be doing um, a, a bunch of programs on how to um, make, where is it, where healthy gets delicious. <laughs> because usually you can find, if you're creative enough or you're persevering enough, you can find a way to enjoy a fruit or a vegetable that you might not if you just ate it the way it's traditionally served. You can incorporate it or do something interesting with it and really love it. And no, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, and I've seen this happen. I've actually seen this happen. So well, I, I think know. really what what this teaches us as well is that you know you can have the knowledge around you know this kind of knowledge, but there are a number of people who don't have the skills of food preparation. Yeah, um, they haven't been taught, mm. or you know they've grown up on a very you mm. know bread or rice or pasta mm. or meat diet, mm. um, and they haven't realised the necessity of how important fruits mm. and vegetables are for us. Yeah. And I think what what's becoming even clearer and perhaps to just join some of these mechanisms together at a very broad level, um, we're understanding more and more about the gut and its role and importance in in health in general. And what I want to really get out to you is that um, when your gut is healthy, you are healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the effect of these fruits and vegetable portions is really the effect on the gut microbiota, that is the bacteria in our mm, gut, mm. because they thrive on fibre. And where do you get fibre? Exclusively and vegetables. plant foods. Plant foods, yeah, okay. Exclusively. Um, obviously whole grains as well and, and nuts, etc. Um, but um, But fruits and vegetables are one of the biggest components. And mm. I should also put a plug in for the variety that we have in the mm. diet, because just eating one or two, I mean, that's, that's great, but um, the good Lord designed a lot of these foods to have different types of fibres, soluble, insoluble, mm-hmm. and have different roles in feeding different bacterial species. Um, it was very interesting. I was just that, that, That's one of the dietary guidelines of us for Australians is to, it used to be, um, eat a wide variety of nutritious foods, and they changed one word. I won't quiz you on camera, but they changed the first word from eat a wide variety to enjoy. Enjoy, yes. Enjoy a wide variety. And we yes. meant to enjoy our food, but... A wide variety is really, really important because they don't all have exactly the same nutrients. Absolutely right. Or the same proportions. Absolutely right. So they're they're feeding your gut microbiota, which are in turn giving you back good quality um, organic acids and things which the gut cells love. Um, And they also actually, they build for you various neurotransmitters and they they will... um, also provides certain vitamins and minerals. That's incredible, so isn't it? So I'll give you... I'll just give so you're saying 
what's happening in the gut builds neurotransmitters. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So I'll give you one example. So that's, so, a, that's an incredible connection with, with depression and uh, absolutely. Having, isn't well, it? Well, here's the example. Oh. We've all heard, probably a lot of us have heard of the bacteria E. coli. It's probably one of the best studied bacteria around, probably most notoriously for giving urinary tract infections to people. But um, E. coli is actually really important in our gut. Um, and if it's fed well and in good proportion, it will give you tyrosine, tryptophan and phenylalanine, which are three amino acids that build neurotransmitters. Whoever would have thought that E. coli would so be. That actually does that for you, and, and it also so provides folate and a vitamin called vitamin K2 and probably a number of others. So, and I'm, you know, that's just one, and, and I'm certainly no expert in the microbiology, but, but these bacteria are doing good stuff for us, and if we provide the, the healthy ones that are supposed to be there in the right ratios, they will pay us back and you'll have a function at the gut level. So those neurotransmitters like serotonin help those gut cells to be functioning, um, but they will probably, some will also cross into the brain and then help you to feel a bit happier. Um, mm. So I think it's, it's a very, very profound um, benefit to be understanding what, what these um, nutrients uh, or what these um, uh, bacteria do when they're fed the right food. Yes. And I think that's one reason why this certainly works giving good quality foods helps mood i, I love the way you, your whole approach to this and that you have various different approaches and you know the, the traditional and you've got the lifestyle approaches if someone wanted to come and see you or they wanted to contact you how would they do that Sure. So um, I, my clinic's in Sydney. Um, it's called Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic. I love the name. You like Beautiful that? name, yes. Yeah, um, I, th I think it's a good name too, but I'm biased. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, the website you can see on camera now is uh, sanctuaryclinic.com.au. I also um, have a Facebook page, which you're welcome to like, and I've just started a YouTube channel. Oh, okay. So um, people can see some educational videos as good. I put those up over time, um, and it, that's, that's a service for You'll people. You'll be able to put this on your... Uh, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, yeah. And uh, so I'd be delighted to help you. We also have a nutritionist um, who also focuses on a lot of this kind of stuff, good gut health, mm -hmm. providing good quality nutrients um, to the gut. Um, and um, I also have a naturopath who's also interested in this style of things. And I have a psychologist who um, is wonderful that, with counselling people. That's fantastic. So you've got a range of people who are just coming from different perspectives mm. to help people Absolutely right. with their concerns. So I... I we've, um, I'd also like to talk a little bit further, and this will have to be part two for our, our next discussion, right. a little bit about individual biochemistry of the brain and how we can actually target and use different dietary and um, uh, nutrient strategies yes. for specific individuals. Um, and I think this, this talk today in part one has been around looking at whole food approaches and the role of food in general yes. uh, and good quality foods and, and how that actually impacts at a biochemical level on the brain and, and at a clinical level, which you've seen from the data. Um, but there are situations where we actually have to use particular targeted approaches um, where the general approach is still valid, but we kind of hone the approach within that general approach. And unfortunately, we also recognise that there is different soil qualities around the world. And in Australia, some of the soils where we grow our fruits and vegetables don't always contain as many vitamin and mineral nutrients as we may like for okay. optimal health. So in some situations, we actually have to consider supplementing um, in, in order to get to the levels in, in the blood and brain that we want for optimal mental health. And what, are you getting very positive results by using that targeted approach? Absolutely. So the approach that I'm going to talk about in the next section is, is uh, something that I've learnt 
um, through um, a, a lovely, um, uh, I, uh, I guess, medical doctor approach in the United States, um, uh, Dr. Bill Walsh, and he's um, looked at uh, biochemical individuality of people with mental health problems, okay. and he's actually figured out how to um, uh, manipulate their mental health for the better using supplemental and dietary approaches. Mm -hmm. um, and I've found probably about 75, maybe even 80% of my patients will actually improve and I don't even need to use a medication with them. So it's, it's enormously Say powerful. that one more time, 75? Probably about anecdotally, 75 yeah. to 80% of my patients would improve. That's not all of them. No, no. And obviously I react according to To what, what extent? How, how? Oh, some dramatically. Dramatically. Some, some modestly. Yeah. But most of them will improve. And occasionally we need to use some medication to supplement. They work both very well Well, isn't together. that interesting by using some extra nutritional supplements in certain cases as needed? And you obviously obviously test for that. That's wonderful. I'm looking forward to the next program <laughs> because I'm sure many people are because it's not a nice way to live when you have, you know, have these problems. Well, our goal is to support you on your journey through life and we trust that today's program has been helpful to you or to someone that you love. Remember, you can watch our programs on demand. Just visit 3abnaustralia.org.au and click the watch button. God bless you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Television.